0: Well, good morning, and thank you again for being with us this morning for our public worship gathering as we, as we gather to continue to be a people who want to learn to live and love like Jesus. This is your first time with us this morning. Thank you for being here. We love that you're here. You are welcome to be here. In fact, we hope that you stop at the welcome desk and introduce a little bit of your story to us. We look forward to getting to know you. We also have, as Pastor Bob mentioned earlier, a mug, and inside that mug, there's a little bit about our story, and the reason we give a mug is also just a way of saying, you are welcome here, you are welcome at the table with us, you are welcome at the table of God that you are valued, and we look forward to getting to know you, and so it's kind of a physical invitation as well, and so please stop back there, and we look forward to um, getting to know you. As I said this morning, we are going to be talking about Pentecost Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays to get to preach on. We've been, as you know, in an ongoing series through Revelations, and we are going to pause this morning. That series is called Strength and Hope. But this morning we are going to pause and we are going to explore a story in Acts. We are going to look at a story that is full of celebration, reflection, and remembrance. And I hope we experience those things as well as we look at Pentecost. Pentecost is a day in which is celebrated by followers of Jesus. It is fifty days after Easter. In fact, Pentecost literally translates as 50. It's not a word that means anything really hooky-pooky. It just means 50. So it is the 50th day, and Pentecost Sunday, as I said, is a day of celebration, it's a day of reflection, it's a day of remembrance. It is a time, it is a moment in which the Bible records the Holy Spirit descends and empowered the apostles and other followers of Jesus just as Jesus had promised it would. Before we read the story in Acts, before we begin to explore the story of Pentecost, I kind of want to set a lens for our study this morning. I want to give you somewhat of a context of what is happening up to this point in Acts, and we're going to let that shape how we read the passage. So I invite you, as we, as we explore this visual lens, to just close your eyes, or to stare at this picture of the fire, and to just listen and try to visualize the story in which I am going to read. Life has felt so good for the past 40 days. In fact, you and your friends, the other apostles, have been feeling quite invincible. It's hard to believe, but just 43 days ago, you watched your best friend, your mentor, your teacher, and your Messiah killed. It was the darkest season of doubt that you've ever experienced. Yet, just three days after that, You watched as your Messiah, your best friend, your mentor and your teacher appeared to you, casting aside all doubt. This mighty triumph is why you and your friends are feeling so invincible. This is the biggest high you've ever experienced. You have just spent 40 days with a guy that can't be stopped. During each of those 40 days, you sat face-to-face With Jesus, once again, he was an open book to you. Like your friend Luke was writing in his journal, Jesus was constantly talking about the things concerning the kingdom of God. It was energizing to hear these things. You are reflecting that these Jerusalem sunsets with these conversations are just the best. One night in particular... You have spent, on this night in particular, you have spent all day talking about the amazing things that are beyond your grasp. You watched the sun come up, you felt the heat of the noonday, and now you're watching the sunset glow with remarkable colors. The salty air is blowing off the lake. You can taste it. This is certainly the perfect ending to a perfect day and the best way to dissect the perfect conversation. Luke is journaling, as always. John and Matthew have decided to light the fire to take some of the edge of the cold wind off. And Peter won't shut up with questions. But that's, then again, pretty normal for him. What remains from the dinner you all packed and ate is being passed around once more for anyone who's still a little hungry. And of course, James is making sure we know how rich we are and how we better not let any food go to waste. You lean back, and you smile as you look at your vagabond crew. Just then, Jesus speaks up. It takes you a minute to focus in on what he's saying, and you just catch this line. You must wait for what the Father has promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it will come soon. We are all sure that this must be the coming of the eternal reign on earth. Peter, with his question, shouts out what we were all thinking. Master, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time? The salt air quickly goes stale, and Jesus stands up with a sternness and a seriousness we weren't expecting. Jesus says, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. It was at this point that Jesus comes to each one of us, placing his hand on our shoulder. He kisses you. He embraces you. We look and we see Jesus rising now in the sky towards the heavens. Suddenly, we realize that we are now staring into an empty sky and chewing on the last words that he told us. Words about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Once again, we find ourselves waiting for the move of the kingdom and of our Father in heaven. This is the defining scene in Acts 1. And it describes where we're going to pick up the story in Acts 2. Jesus gave them the promise of the Holy Spirit and left. So this morning we're going to be looking at Acts 2, 1 through 21. I'm going to be reading uh, from the New International Version. You can follow along with me on the screen. I also invite you to, to uh, open your Bibles and follow along. If you want to use the Red Pew Bible in front of you, It is going to be on page 1078, 1078. Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. "...that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one had heard their own language being spoken utterly amazed they asked aren't all of these who speaking gallians then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language parthians medes elamites residents of mesopotamia judea and cappadocia pontus and asia And Asia Minor, where those two cities are. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them, they said, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine to drink. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I am about to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It only, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if we really think about it, this is a pretty crazy story, right? Not only does it have a bunch of crazy names of people that were present, but it's a pretty crazy story with some crazy characters in it who got to experience it as well. We see this ring true because the Bible itself says the crowd was in bewilderment. And they were utterly amazed because it was crazy. So the question remains, what notes and takeaways can we take from this story? For our context here at East Petersburg Mennonite Church, what is it that we can learn from this story that is now almost 2,000 years old? When you came in, you should have received a bulletin. And inside there, you'll see some underscores, some underlined areas to fill in notes. I encourage you to, to follow along. The answers will be on the screen. And just to chew on this this week of what this story might be saying to you. The first thing that we see is that Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God, a reality that was both at hand and yet to come. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God during his ministry on earth. He consistently and constantly proclaimed what he called the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God to those who are listening we see that dynamic over and over again we see it through John the Baptist when he had a message that Matthew records and says repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near the kingdom has come near Mark tells us that after John the Baptist was arrested Jesus came into Galilee and this is what he says tell John the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The word here for hand, the kingdom is at hand, is a sense that you can literally just reach out and you can touch it. It is a reality that is in front of you in the same way that you guys are in front of me now. The kingdom is in within grasp and you can embrace it. You can tap into it, if you will. We see this again when Luke records Jesus' rebuttal to the Pharisees, who asked him, when will the kingdom come? Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. No one will say, look, there it is, or there I see it coming. Actually, the kingdom of God is already in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is already in the midst of you. However, at the same time, we know that we are not living on the other side of death yet. We have not overcome death personally. Evil still exists in the world. Christ dominates over evil, but evil is still at hand with us as well. So some aspects of the kingdom are both here and now and yet to come. Georgia Eldon Ladd says it this way. And this idea of the kingdom being held in tension of both here and now and yet to come is often called the inaugurated kingdom. And that was given language by Lad, who says this. The kingdom of God is his kingship, his rule, his authority. When this is once realized, we can go through the New Testament and find passage after passage where this meaning is evident, where the kingdom is not a realm or a people, God's reign. Jesus said we must receive the kingdom of God as little children. What is received? The church? Heaven? What is received is God's rule. In order to enter the future realm of the kingdom, one must submit himself in perfect trust to God's rule here and now. We must also seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What is the object of our quest? The church? Heaven? No. We are to seek God's righteousness, his sway, his rule, and his reign in our lives. Secondly, what we see from this passage is that in Jerusalem, Jesus told them to wait a few days for the Holy Spirit, a gift that would be promised from his Father. Like the kingdom of God, Jesus also spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see in Luke eleven eleven that Jesus tells us that the Father gifts the Holy Spirit. That passage says, Which of one of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? For if he asks for an egg, who will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says that God gives what? The Holy Spirit. In John 16, 7, we see Jesus telling his followers that, there is a really, that it is really good that he is going away because they are actually going to get something better. How do you have something better than a Messiah at your grasp? Right? But this is what he tells him. He says, But I truly tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Sure, they draw dropped at this point. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In this passage, we also see that Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will consume them with power to mirror the kingdom. To all people. When the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you receive power and you will be my witnesses, Jesus says to them. In Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? Jesus said the Holy Spirit will consume them and allows them to be him. To be mirrors of his kingdom. the story of Acts 2 we also see the holy spirit exploded on a day that was traditionally focused on remembering when jesus received the law and cel- oh, sorry when moses received the law and celebrating the wheat harvest what we don't realize often with the story of pentecost is that it falls on a hugely significant time for the jewish people and for these jewish followers of jesus In this story, we read from the book of Acts that the apostles were gathered together celebrating what would have been Shavuot. Shavuot usually falls between May 1st and June 15th, and it's literally translated as two words, which is ironic because it has a dual meaning, oath and seven weeks. Shavuot actually has a double significance for the Jewish people. First, it marks the important wheat harvest in the land of Israel. Secondly, it also celebrates the anniversary of when God gave the law and the commandments to Moses to govern the people of Israel. So it's a time in which they gather the fruits of their work, and it's also this important time in which the law was given, and they celebrate the Torah. It's ironic and with purpose and intention, implicit intention, that Jesus uses this day to bring the Holy Spirit a day of fruit celebration, and a day of law remembrance. It has both physical and spiritual aspects to the way in which it's celebrated. Spiritually, there were special times of worship, as well as some would stay up all night reading and studying the Torah. People celebrated God by bringing the first fruits of their work, and the temple would feature two wheat loaves in it. People celebrated also by prohibiting work on this day. They needed to work from a place of rest. The next seven weeks, they would gather together as this festival went on to gain, to gather their grain and their wheat. And so this was a day of celebration, a day of rest, because the next seven weeks were not so fun. It was marked as a season of parties and celebrations defined by an overwhelming sense of gladness with everyone. It was a time that brought everyone from the countrysides together. And these celebrations and, and parties were often celebrated with these special treats that had cheese melted on them. They kind of looked like mozzarella sticks. And if you're getting hungry, these things would definitely do the trick. But they were also celebrated with wine. Why is that important? Well, they're harvesting wheat, grain, And what is the first thing that people assume about the apostles? They've had too much wine to drink. And Peter's rebuttal is, no, 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 no. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not alcoholics, okay? It's 9 o'clock. No one's drinking yet. That is Peter's response. Why? Because this day was celebrated with wine. It was a reality that people were trying to justify what they were seeing. This is why people thought they were drunk. So we see on this special day that they gathered as an extended family of Jesus followers to celebrate together, to encourage each other, and to invest in the lives of others. They were waiting for God's gift, but in honor of their tradition, they had still gathered together to celebrate, to encourage, and to invest. In the same way, the members of ministry council have identified this reality as a core value for East Petersburg Mennonite Church. At East Petersburg Mennonite Church, we too value community. Like we are gathered here this morning. As an extended family, our core value reads of Jesus followers celebrating together, encouraging each other, and investing in the lives of others. They had valued Jesus' words as they gathered there. That he had left with them before he ascended. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set, but for you to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. These were the last words to them he ever gave. So as they gathered on this day of Pentecost, we must also see as they gathered with expectancy, the Holy Spirit showed up, enabling them with undoubtable power they looked forward to the coming of this comforter with great expectancy excuse me believing in what jesus had promised see that the presence of god bewildered as i said and amazed The neighborhood, the crowd, as it proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. People came running to see what was happening. There was such a a commotion. There was so much life happening with these 12 guys and their friends that were gathered that the whole neighborhood came out to see what was happening because the power of God had shown up, and it caused people to look. God leaves no doubt of his power if we live into it. Some people call Pentecost the birth of the church. But I personally think the church started when Jesus called his first disciples. It is here in Pentecost in which Jesus releases and empowers his church. In the neighborhood against all forces of the world to be able to proclaim that truly Jesus is Lord. Let me say it in another way. The presence of God or the Holy Spirit powerfully proclaims through us that Jesus is Lord. Pentecost reminds us, as we are gathered here today and we look at Pentecost, we must remember that it reminds us that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom and empowered us in it as well. That's why Paul spent so much time teaching this aspect of the kingdom and to the Holy, of the Holy Spirit to the churches in which he planted. He wanted it to be part of their DNA. He wanted them to get it. He wanted to make sure they were fluid in it. He wanted it because he knew Jesus wanted it. In fact, some of Paul's reminders from it come from 1 Corinthians 12, 7, where he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Then he goes on later in chapter 14, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Goes on again. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those and build up the church. He also says in that same chapter, So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God really is among you. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do you notice Paul's language? What word does he use over and over again? Be eager. Say it again. Be eager for these things. This is way after Pentecost. This is way after the, the, the writings of the, of the early uh, gospels already starting to get put together. And he is still wanting these things for the church. He is saying, this is going to be with you. Do not forbid it. Do not stop it. It is going to show you that the power of God is with you. It will get the neighborhood looking. So like the 11 apostles in this story, we should embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit with expectancy and confidence. We should expect to see it. We should want to expect to see it. We should look at it with confidence and say, yes, God, we are eager for the things of your kingdom. We are eager for the things in which you have given the church to empower it in the neighborhood. In closing, I want to tell you two stories. This should not strike us odd, this talk of the Holy Spirit. It was once considered normal for us as Anabaptists. In the early days of the Anabaptist movement, thousands of years after the ascension of Jesus, there was lots of witnessing of the manifestations of the Spirit. Early Anabaptists were known to follow Uh, This is from a a writing. Early Anabaptists were known to follow and become subject to dancing in their worship gatherings. Dancing. Okay. Often following under the power of the Holy Spirit. Stories from Zurich in 1525, Munster in 1534, and Amsterdam in 1535 record this, as well as several accounts of people speaking in tongues. Lutheran reformers looked at our small movement and often said, we were excited by mass hysteria. This is, what, this is a book called Lutheran Reformers Against the Anabaptists. And in it they write, the Anabaptists are excited by mass hysteria. They experience healing, speaking in tongues, contortions, and other manifestations that look like a misguided revi- camp meeting revival. Early Anabaptist pilgrim Marpech, who would go on to form the Church of the Brethren, wrote this in rebuttal. God has a free hand even in these last days. God has a free hand even in these last days. Pilgrim Marpet goes to write even about the resurrection of the dead in his context. He says, Moreover, one also marvels when he sees how the faithful God, who after all overflows with goodness, raises the dead of such several brothers and sisters of Christ, even after we watched them hung, drowned, and killed, and in other ways, dead. Even today, they are now found alive, and we can hear their own testimony. Eagerly and expecting the Holy Spirit should not become strange for us, because it is part of our DNA, because Jesus wants it to be part of our DNA, and it is exactly what shaped us in the beginning days. I share my final story, and it's from this book called Holiness Unto the Lord. It is the story of Roxbury Holiness Camp. Has anyone ever been to Roxbury growing up? So when I shared the story of people getting happy, do you guys remember that term? Raise your hand. Do you remember the people getting happy? In this story, it is a recording of not only the, the business decisions that the camp made over the years and how it came, but it's also stories of testimony. Now, you can't see this picture, but in this picture, there's a bunch of guys wearing plain suits with straight collars, And, you know, they got the cool Buddy Holly glasses, right? And so they are not anything really crazy. They are much like any other Mennonite or Anabaptist would have been at that time, right? In this story that I'm going to read to you, there's a guy named William Davis. He was fond of telling this story of a miraculous event that one day occurred to him at Roxbury Camp. Once, while in prayer inside a prayer meeting in which they're inviting the Holy Spirit to come, he had a vision in which he saw a huge nugget of gold. As he began to look at it, suddenly the Spirit of the Lord physically took him out of the building, and when he came to himself again, he was sitting on a trash pile. This is what he heard in his vision. This is what I did for you. I took you from this pile, this rubbish pile, and I will now refine you to pure one of many stories in which come out of Roxbury Camp. There's a story of a 90-year-old man dancing on a pew, and the pew gives way, and the floor gives way, and he lands up in the basement of the meeting house, and he stands up, throws his cane away, and just walks back upstairs. There are story and story after again. We should not be surprised that God has a free hand even in these last days. Our challenge this morning... I forgot to show you Roxbury Camp. Our challenge this morning is for us to look at Pentecost as a reminder to eagerly expect the free hand of God to empower us once again, to witness to a peaceable kingdom in our neighborhood, an inaugurated kingdom that is both here and now and yet to come. I'm going to read this challenge again. Let us not. Let us look at Pentecost as a reminder to eagerly expect the free hand of God to empower us once again to witness to a peaceable kingdom in our neighborhood. An inaugurated kingdom that is both here and not yet to come. Their so worship band, uh, worship team comes forward to, to lead us in a closing song. I invite you to stand. I invite you to posture yourself and say, Lord, we believe you're an act of God. We want to see the things of your kingdom. We believe that you have a free hand in these days, and we want you to feel at home to be able to do those things here and now as you wish.